Yeah, thanks, Mark. And um, yeah, I am so honored to be gathered with you all this morning um, for the worship of God and to open up his word um, and lead us in, in this time this morning. Um, as Mark said, I'm, my name is Ryan and I'm one of the elders here. Um, haven't been an elder for very long, but it has been an enormous privilege. Um, but as Mark mentioned, we will be in First Peter chapter 4 this morning. So if you will begin to work your way there, we have been in a series called Faithfulness in a Foreign Land, um, where it has looked at, Peter has, has shown us what it means to live as, as elect exiles in this world that we aren't calling home. Because there's an eternal home that is being prepared for us. And we're going to dive more into that truth this morning. Um, and as you're turning there, um, I just want to share a quick story with you. So many of you may be familiar with a woman named Johnny Erickson Tata. So in 1967, she was 17 years old. She had plans to go um, to physical therapy school. She had a, a big life ahead of her, planned for her, and she was out swimming with her sister in a lake one day and she jumped off of a dock into a shallow part of the lake and ended up hitting the bottom and breaking her neck. And she immediately went to the hospital and the doctor said that she was completely paralyzed from the neck down. She could move her shoulders a little bit, but um, her life as she knew it was completely over. She saw no purpose in living anymore. She just wanted to figure out how can I end my life as quick as possible. And it was in this moment of just complete devastation that the Lord came to her and comforted her and, sh- and showed her his love for her. The Lord ended up sending some friends of Johnny's to her bedside where they would preach the gospel with her, open up the, the Bible and begin sharing stories about Jesus. And this comforted Johnny tremendously. So much so that she ended up coming to faith, but not only coming to faith, she became just an incredible witness for the gospel. She loves the Lord more than any, more than most people that, that I've ever heard of. And throughout her life, she struggled with chronic pain. She even got diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. And in 2010, she was invited to come on to the Larry King live show and The reason that she was invited wasn't because of the immense tragedy that she had been through, the suffering that she had been through, but Larry King had heard of of this hope that she had, this peace that she had in her heart despite her sufferings. And let me just read a bit about what she said on this show that made Larry King about fall out of his chair. She says, but the bottom line, no matter what I go through, my desire is simply this. To know God better. He is ecstasy beyond compare. And it is worth anything to be his friend. If it takes, if it takes a wheelchair or stage three cancer to do that, then fine. I rejoice in the freedom I have found in this wheelchair for the last 40 years or so. I often thank God that he never raised me out of my wheelchair. If, he, if I had been granted a healing decades ago, I know I would not be in a ministry serving other people with disabilities around the world. And with another round or two of chemotherapy to go, will I be declared cancer-free? I don't know. What I know is God's peace in my heart will see me through. My place of healing is in the arms of God. We don't need to hold quadriplegia, pain, cancer, or any other suffering in contempt. It just may be the open door to joy and peace for those who are paralyzed by unbelief and blind to deeper, more satisfying truths. 
See, Johnny understood 1 Peter 4 because she understood that, that her suffering was not a, just about her finding joy and peace in Christ, but it was in order to illuminate the glory of God to all people. She, she felt worse for those who were paralyzed by unbelief and were blind to deeper, more satisfying truths of the gospel. So how do we, how do we get there? Because I know I'm not there. I was studying through First Peter, and I feel like this is a book of the Bible that I feel so unrelated to in, in, in my walk in life. And there's something about Johnny that she gets it. So how do we get there? My aim this morning is that not if, but when suffering comes, that we as a church, that we would be prepared for it. And the way that you're prepared for it is by answering a few questions like, what is your relationship with Christ look like right now? Whether you're in the midst of suffering or it is bright and sunny and in your life is going really smooth. How is your relationship with Jesus? What, what are some things that you're believing about the character of God? Who is God to you? Who is God in your life? What are you believing about God? And then what truths are you storing deep into your heart that you can cling to when everything turns into shambles? See, this morning we're going to be talking about two forms of suffering. One form of suffering you can avoid. The other form you cannot avoid. Persecution and then what I would call the human condition of sin. See, persecution is when you're insulted or maligned or ostracized for your faith in Christ. And this is Peter's primary audience in 1 Peter, where these, these elect exiles are living in the margins of society, often being kicked out of their homes, beaten, even martyred for their faith in Christ. And it's, it's really unique because Peter, Peter had an opportunity to suffer with Christ. We, we know this at the end of his life or at the end of Jesus's life, right before Jesus was crucified, Peter was approached by several different people and asked, do you know this man? Do you know this man, Jesus, who's being crucified? And Peter, in that moment, he avoided suffering. He avoided suffering by denying Christ over and over and over again. But we know from church history that Peter that Peter's love and joy in Christ ended up just exploding. We see that through the book of Acts. Where Peter, at the end of his life, he begged the people who were, who were putting his life to an end, saying, please don't crucify me like my Savior, for I am unworthy to die the same death that my Savior died. And so they crucified him upside down. And that's the, that's the worthiness he saw in Christ. So that is a picture of suffering in the form of persecution. The second form of suffering is under the human condition of sin. If you've breathed breath on this earth, you have, you have been acquainted with this form of suffering. You've tasted the bitterness and the brokenness of this world that we live in. You've tasted the fall, whether it's COVID or cancer, divorce, car accidents, natural disasters, whatever it may be, you have seen it and experienced it. But the truth is, that what Peter's telling us this morning in this passage is that the biblical principles in this passage, they cover all forms and degrees of suffering. So whether you are maligned in your workplace because you're not using like the proper pronoun in your email signature or, 
or your marriage is in complete shambles. Peter has a word for us this morning. So, 1 Peter chapter 4, we're just going to kind of work through this passage, starting in verse 12. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I just love how Peter starts off this passage with beloved. He wants us to know first and foremost, he wants his audience to know first and foremost that you are the beloved of God. Whatever comes next, remember that. No matter what happens in your life, that you are loved greatly by your creator. That he sent his son to die for you because he loves you. So first and foremost, remember that. And secondly, Peter is speaking affectionately towards, towards us as his audience because he knows there's a hard truth coming that may be difficult for us to hear. And he wants, whatever happens in our life, he wants us to remember that we are the beloved of God. So beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial or the various trials that come upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. So these words, surprised and strange, they're almost identical words in, in meaning. It's almost like this feeling of bewilderment. Like you are so shocked at the trials that are coming in your life that of this brokenness in this world catches you by surprise. <clears throat> this past week, I, I took a work trip and made the smart decision to bring my entire family along with me. Um, and so if you don't know what we, what, what we do for work, you can ask us later, but we basically went and visited an Amish camel farm. Um, (laughs) and if, if you have toddlers, you know that when you start traveling with your family, it shouldn't catch you by surprise when a three hour car ride goes horribly wrong. And when you, I got in the car and I'm thinking, Oh, I'll just listen to an audio book this whole trip. Well, that was a mistake. And I was the entire car. ride. I'm like totally blindsided, like shocked that it didn't go the way I wanted it to go. So Peter's saying, do not be surprised like that. Do not be surprised like that. Because if we've heard anything from Jesus, if we've heard anything of him talk about anything in this world, it is brokenness and it is suffering. He identified suffering by going to the cross for us. He healed the leper, the fever, the diseased. He was acquainted with it. He knew it. And he he talks about it constantly through the gospels. So why are we so surprised when suffering comes upon us? It's almost as though if our circumstances remain smooth and good, that we believe that God is in control and everything. And God is just holding all this stuff together for our good when things are smooth. But as soon as there comes turbulence or disruption in our life, we begin to point the finger at God and say, God, are you even there? Are you in control? Are you still good? And what Peter wants us to see this morning is that God is very good, that God is loving and he is forever in control and that your suffering, that your trials, they are not in vain, but they are for a divine purpose that we will see here in a moment. So God is designed suffering to test the quality of one's commitment to Christ. See, first point is that that God is sovereign over our suffering for our holiness. In verse 12, again, it says that these fiery trials, it comes upon you to test you. 
That's the purpose of our suffering to test you. And then if you drop down with me to verse 17 and 18, it says, for it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. If it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? See, our suffering is for our holiness. God designed it that way. God designed it that we would be set apart from the world that we live in, that we would no longer love and live for the things of this earth. That to be holy is to be set apart from the world that we're living in. And once again, God loved you so much. God loves you so much that he is actively working in your heart to purge out of you everything that he hates, which is namely sin and idolatry and anything that's keeping you from lasting joy in him. He wants your holiness. He wants your heart. He wants your life. This, the image that comes to mind was, was um, and just better, to better articulate this passage and this, this verse, um, is from Matthew 7. It's this picture of the, the narrow gate and the wide gate. When you have these two pictures, you see the wide gate is filled, it's packed with people, and it's really easy. It's a really easy way to go. But ultimately, it leads to destruction. But the narrow gate, and few will find it, It presents a lot of opposition and great difficulty, but it leads to life. And the people who are on both of those journeys in the narrow gate, they're looking towards the reward. They're looking towards the end as their reward. But the people on the, in, on the wide path, the wide gate, they're just there to enjoy the the journey, to enjoy the path, enjoy the life here on this earth. So Peter's saying when suffering comes, don't forget the words of Jesus that he promised that suffering would come. So stop storing up treasures here on heaven. Because remember, your suffering is for your holiness, for your good. Do not be surprised by it. There's this quote I love by John Piper. He says the the deepest and rarest and most satisfying joys of our lives will never come in times of ease and earthly comfort. See, God is, God is sovereign over our suffering for our holiness, and he is sovereign over our suffering for our joy. And this is a, this is a common theme throughout the New Testament, that, that, your, that your suffering will actually produce a joy in your heart. We see that in James 1. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials of various kinds. Matthew 5.12. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. James 1.6, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. In Acts 5, I love this picture that we see in Acts 5, where you have Peter and the apostles, and they're proclaiming the name of Christ in the synagogues, out in the streets, and they are arrested by the religious council. Put in prison, an angel comes in the middle of the night, breaks them out of prison, And the religious leaders find the apostles the next day back in the synagogue doing the same thing they were doing the day before. And here's what verse 40, starting in verse 40 says. And when the council had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. 
Then the apostles left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for Christ's name. What the apostles are understanding in this moment is that they saw, they were rejoicing because they were found worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. Because the whole theme in this, in, in this verse here is that, that if we share in Christ's sufferings now, we will share in his glory. Look with me at verse 13. But rejoice, even though these fiery trials are coming upon you, but rejoice insofar as you share in Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. See, if we share in Christ's sufferings now, we will share in his glory. The apostles weren't, weren't worried about their suffering. They weren't worried about, oh, this, this sucks. This is the worst. We're being beaten because we, because we love Christ. No, they had their eyes fixed on, upon their eternal reward that was to come. They were fixed upon a future glory. And they saw themselves as almost like this feeling of awe and fear, but of joy, of complete joy of being able, found worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. And the reality is that if we rejoice in our sufferings now on this earth, that is showing that, that this earth is not our treasure, that Christ is ultimately our treasure. It, it shows that we have, as Peter mentioned in chapter one, that we have truly been born again to a living hope. For those who, who do suffer for the name of Christ, we will be met with just an overwhelming joy and delight when his glory is revealed to us. So we, so we set our gaze and our hope upon the reality that, that Jesus will return and will restore and will make all things new. And we are not citizens of this world. So as, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we no longer need to live for the things of this world because this is not our home. Verse 14. If you are insulted for the name of Christ... You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Have, have, have you been insulted? Have any of you been insulted for the name of Christ? I know we can speak for a lot of brothers and sisters around the world who have been insulted for the name of Christ, but we are not far from that in this day and age. We're not far from that in our culture where the church is being pushed to the margins of society and our biblical values that we uphold, the truth that we cling on to is contrary to almost everything in society today. Whether it's sexuality or marriage or gender or whose life is more important than another. And there's a day coming when you when your jobs or your schools will ask you to teach or promote or uphold the values that are contrary to our faith. And you may be faced with a decision where something comes up in your work and you have to teach or promote this value that's contrary to what you believe. In that moment, are you willing to say no and potentially lose your job? Or are you going to compromise on these biblical values in your faith and say, well, it's not that big of a deal right? But I, pr- I pray, I pray in that moment that we would be lo- willing to lose our jobs and not our faith. 
And I don't want to sound cold in saying that because of the reality of what's to come, what Peter is promising, what the Lord is promising us here in this passage in verse 14. He says, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. And that is not a cliche or trite or hashtag blessed. That is a a real blessed because of what comes next, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Turn with me real quick, or I think it'll actually be up on the screen, but Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. It says, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of the Lord shall come and rest upon the shoot that's coming forth out of the stump of Jesse. And if you know your, the prophecy about Christ, you know that Christ is coming from the kingly line of David, who's the son of Jesse. Turn with me again to Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. Do you see this? Do you see the reality of of what we have here, of the gift that we have, of the same Spirit that came and rested on Christ? The same Spirit that came and rested on Christ at his baptism where God the Father called out from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That same spirit is coming and resting upon you, upon you when you are insulted for your faith. So church, rejoice that you are clothed with majesty and honor and glory and power when the spirit comes and rests on you. Rejoice in the reward of your suffering. Rejoice in the imperishable, undefiled, and unfading inheritance that is kept in heaven for you. Peter's saying here, rejoice in your sufferings. For there's nothing that man can do to you. This world can do nothing to you. You are literally blanketed, covered over in the spirit of the living God. And so church rejoice because when you rejoice as a Christian in the midst of suffering, when you are in fellowship with Christ, walking in obedience to him in the midst of suffering, you are glorifying God in your suffering. So God is sovereign over our sufferings for our holiness God is sovereign over our sufferings for our joy. And God is sovereign over our sufferings for his glory. Verse 19 of 1 Peter chapter 4. I don't want us to miss this. This is a a truth that I want to treasure. That I want this church to treasure as we leave here today. If I could find 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 19. Oh, sorry. Going back to verse 16. Skip the whole section. (laughs) Um, So verse 16. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him give glory to God in that name. In the name Christian. And this is one of the few times that that the name Christian is mentioned in the New Testament. Because this word Christian is almost like a derogatory term for the Gentiles to use as they're making fun of and mocking Christians. But Peter uses is it, he uses it specifically here to show you that, that 
Christians are in the margins. They're in the, they're in the, in the suffering and in the insult of society. But don't forget your home. Don't forget where you are headed. And as Christians, as you are suffering, as you take on the name Christian, rejoice in your sufferings. Because when we rejoice in our sufferings and when our hope is in future glory, that is going to fuel a gospel proclamation. When you're standing before doctors and counselors, next door neighbors and students and teachers and peers, and you're walking through a a dark season in your life, you're being insulted or things are happening in your life that you just did not see coming and you respond with hope and what is to come, that will flip the world upside down. People will shake their heads in disbelief. I think about the stories we're hearing that are coming out of Families here who are, who are working in the foster care system and they're having conversations with people in this community and they're just like, why on earth would you compromise your comfort and your security, your safety in order to bring these kids into your home? Like, why would you, it's boggling to this world that we live in, but do you know what it's doing? It's stirring in their hearts, a wonder for hope that you have, that they don't have, that they want to know more about. And so when we rejoice in our sufferings, when we rejoice in our discomfort, we are bringing glory to God. Lastly, verse 19. See, God is, God is sovereign over our sufferings for our holiness, for our joy, and for his glory. But God does, doesn't leave you there in your suffering until you come home to heaven. God is faithful to care for you in the midst of your suffering. So Peter says in verse 19, therefore, in light of all these truths that Peter has just spoken to us, in light of your suffering, in light of the the joy in your suffering, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. See, this is, this is good news. This is good news not just for elect exiles who are living in the margins of society in an underground house church or being martyred or persecuted for their faith, but it is good news for us here in the suburbs. Because if you claim to be a follower of Christ, I believe that, that verse 19 is calling us to respond to the whole passage in two ways. The first way is to entrust our souls to a faithful creator. And once again, I'll ask you, what are you believing about the character of God? Who are you believing that God is? Because whatever you're believing now is what you're going to believe when you're in the darkest moment of your life. What you're clinging to now is what you're going to cling to then. So if you're not clinging to Christ now, you will find something else to cling to. And in order to cling to Christ now, we must fill our hearts with habits and practices that, that will draw us closer to him. My, my marriage does not work if I only talk to my wife once a week. And the same with, with Christ. We can't just expect a, a close relationship with Christ if we're just meeting with him once a week on Sunday mornings. We must fill our daily rhythms of life with time in his word. Get in his word every day, whether it's a verse or a, pa- or a chapter or a book of the Bible. Get in his word every day. Meditate on it. I know that there's a, there's a group of brothers and sisters here in this church who are memorizing the book of 1 Peter. 
Like, praise God for that. That's amazing. That's the truth that we need to cling on to in the midst of our suffering. When Peter's reminding us, beloved, do not be surprised when this comes. So cling on to truth that will sustain you. Sow it into your heart. And, and pray through the word. Beg God to not be surprised when suffering comes. Thank God for calling you his beloved, for sending his son Jesus who died for you. Pray through the word regularly. And lastly, get into community. We'll say it over and over and over again. If you are not in the gospel community or a core group, you're not going to have it when you need it most. You want brothers and sisters who are going to come around you and love you and pray for you and sacrifice for you and enter into your brokenness and suffering with you in your life so that you are not having to deal with it alone. And if you don't have it now, if you don't have community now, you will not have it when you need it most. So that was the first response to this passage. Entrust our souls to a faithful creator. And lastly, we entrust our souls to a faithful creator while doing good. And what that means is that when we have the word of God sown into our hearts, when we're meditating on it every day, and the spirit of God is is resting upon us, and, and then at that point, we enter into the broken in the fractured parts of, of our city and the cultures that we live in, like imagine the impact that this church can have for the glory of God among all peoples. Like imagine a people who are filled with the word of God going and embracing a single parent in our city by partnering with an organization like Safe Families. Or imagine a spirit-filled people entering into the foster care system and welcoming children into their home and loving them with the love of Christ. Or next year in 2022, we're going to have thousands of immigrants and refugees who flood into the state of Colorado. And most of them are going to come from places that are closed and unreached to the gospel, meaning the gospel cannot get in those borders. But I know of a church who is filled with the spirit of God and has the word in their hearts that would love to welcome them into this country. Welcome you and welcome them into our homes and show them the love of Christ that they have never experienced before. I love that we're working through first Peter right now, because in this cultural dynamic that we're in, I believe that the church, the majority of churches are in retreat. Let us not be a church that is in retreat. The days of cultural Christianity are fading away quickly. So let's, let's join Christ. Let's follow Christ. Let's share in his sufferings that we may also share in his glory that is to come. So let me pray for us. Father, we, we praise you. We praise you for being sovereign over our sufferings. We praise you for desiring our holiness, desiring our joy, and most of all, desiring your glory. That you will stop at nothing to see those things through. God, thank you for this church. Thank you for the, the, the numerous ways that you are working in it. Lord, we praise you for your glory that is on display in each um, image bearer here. Lord, we ask that you would go before us this week, that we would make much of Christ in the midst of suffering and brokenness, that we would praise your name, God.
Lord, we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.